What's up, everybody? This is the betrayed, the addicted, and the expert. My name is Brandon, and I am the expert. And I'm Ashlyn, and I was the betrayed. And I'm Kobe, the recovering addict. What you're gonna get is three unique perspectives on recovery and tools for hope and healing. Let's start with a fan shout out. Um, so it says, "I'm a therapist and also a betrayed spouse who leads and support, who leads a support group for women who have been devastated by their husbands' infidelity, and are fighting for their recovery in their marriages. And I will be sharing this with my group. I love the dynamics of hearing from an expert." and a couple because it really gives you a glimpse of what counseling can look like and how educating yourself and awareness brings change and empowerment. Thank you all for being courageous to step out and talk about the things that most people are terrified to explore. I'll be using this as much needs as a much needed resource in my counseling practice and know my husband and I will benefit tremendously. Thank you. So Aww, that's cool. That's awesome. I think that's really cool to hear from a therapist. Yes, and thank you. Too, like the fact that she is, uh, she's a therapist leading woman who's also been betrayed. It's like, man, the courage. That's, that's my therapist. Yeah. It's yep. amazing. So, that's rad. I, you know, I've heard from several therapists that they're using our content in, in their work. And I think that's really cool because um, we talk about things that I, I talk about in therapy. So, and things that you've been through in therapy. Right. So I think that's awesome. So. I encourage therapists to use it if it's helpful and yeah. use it in groups if it's helpful. That's why we do it. So That's right. All right. Speaking of that, we're talking about something that we talk about in therapy a lot, which is um, grief. So I know like that you might be shutting off the podcast now because who <laughs> wants to talk about grief? Um, that's not a fun topic. <laughs> um, but it is an important topic for recovery. It's so important. Um but grief, when I say the word grief, what do, what do you guys think of? Like death and <clears throat> yep. super Morning. sad. Yeah, that's the first thing that we think of is is death. Is, you know, if somebody dies, then I have to grieve. Um, but the fact of the matter is, is we're grieving all the time. Um, what grief is, is it's coming to acceptance of something that you that you didn't expect or you didn't think should happen. So... Um, for example, if if uh, I'm driving to the airport to get on an airplane, I, I get stuck in traffic, I can't make my flight, I have to actually grieve the fact that I couldn't get on my flight, right? That's a lower level grief, mm -hmm. but I have to come to terms with the fact that this happened in my life. So you're accepting. Yeah, it's, it's a process of acceptance. So we're talking about grief today, but what we're really talking about is that. Yes. So, so, but grief, it sounds like based on what you just described and based upon our experiences is grief maybe is intrinsically tied to loss in some way. Yes. And, and it could be loss of something that like, could be healthy or unhealthy in this context. Right. Most of the time what's unhealthy, but still, but we view as healthy, right? Like I lost this marriage that we thought was so wonderful, wonderful. but in reality it wasn't. Right. So, but, but here's the thing. So even if, even if you're in a crappy marriage and it all blows up and you lose it, you're still going to go through a grieving process and that's not unhealthy. It's still painful. The change of it is still difficult and painful and hard. And so it's an adjustment and it's learning how to, to navigate that pain and, and let it take its, its, its process, let it go through that process so that you can come to a place of acceptance. So why we're talking about 
I mean, why do we talk about grief mm. when we're talking about betrayal? I mean, this is. I'll, I want to hear Ashlyn your perspective on this from from the period because I I have a, a very I have a, a, a really huge milestone in in recovery for me that surrounds grief that's super important. But I also sure. I, I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, well you do. I do. <laughs> you do. Um, I I got to the point where I was really faced with this fork in the road in in therapy, going to group, going to individual, and have a sponsor. Yeah, and and I came to this to this point where like that kind of support with individual group and twelve step every week helped me realize I have to take I have to, I have to hold on to what was and what I've always known. Or I need to I need to let go of it and, and take this this new path, and what that really meant was for me is I had to grieve the loss of the addiction that was always there for me when I hurt. It was there for me when I was stressed. It was there for me when I was alone in a hotel room in Moscow. You, it you, was it, Kobe. It was you were bonded to this thing that comforted you. And I know it sounds sick and twisted because we hate the addiction, right? Yeah. But that thing did soothe you. It took care of you. It helped you. And, and I talk about with the addicts I work with all the time, grieving the loss of your addiction, coming to terms with that. This is something that you're going to be done with in your, with in your life. Yeah. And they're like, I mean, on the surface, they're like, Oh yeah, whatever. I don't want to I'm here. Right. And they go relapse all week. (laughs) Um, and then, and you know that that ambivalence is there, and they they can't make up their mind, and they they hang on to the addiction because they don't want to let go of it because yeah. they, they in in so many ways they love it and they hate it. Right? Oh, oh. That, yeah, love it and hate it is exactly it. And I also say this too: it wasn't just it wasn't just when I was while well, Ashlyn, you and I were were married that I that I had to grieve this, but it, this was remember this this started for me this this comfort this blanket if you will this addiction became something to comfort me when I was seven, right. So it was always there, always accessible when times were tough. And so the, I, I mean, I really came to, to that particular place, that fork in the road really meant you have to let go of the thing that's always exactly what you said, comforted me and was there. It filled a void for you when you didn't feel love. I mean, it, it, it filled that in for you. Yeah. <clears throat> the, the, the bad part of it is it filled that void in and then it heaped on shame and, mm-hmm. and made you feel totally unlovable. Yes. You know, I don't want to talk about the addiction in, in, in too good of a light. Totally, or, totally. Right. But, but it did fill that void. I mean, it, it did a lot for you. Yeah. And I right? think it's important for the betrayed to understand too. Like if you're wondering like, why, what is wrong with go? Kobe? Like, why can't my partner like let go of this and move on? Or why do they keep going back to it? It's because there is this thing in my head. It's like for comfort, that's where I went. You, you, you regulate, well, you numb out your emotions with mm-hmm. it. It gives you a sense of connection. Mm-hmm. Um, it gives you a sense of arousal, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I don't mean to turn this into talking about this. We should do for a whole sure. episode Just on, on, what, on what the addiction does provide for the addict because it, it does. And that's, that's why it's so hard to let go of it. But the process of grief, you, you, you came to a fork in the road that said, okay, Kobe, like you're going to lose your wife and your family, yeah. and, but you can hang on to your addiction if you want. Yep. But now you can't have both. The, right, the fog of addiction was really um, was was really absent, noticeably absent in my life. Where I was able to clearly see exactly what you just said. I was able to see the landscape in front of me, of and I could see down the road of of holding on to it and what that would actually mean for my family. 
or I could see clearly down the road of if I let go, what it would be like. And, and honestly, it was facing the idea and really taking ownership of the fact that I had destroyed our marriage mm-hmm. to the point of I, I had a second affair when I thought there's no way that's going to happen again. And I, I knew what that would mean if I continued on with it. So as, as much as I knew what it provided for me, I was because the fog of addiction was gone, I was able to clearly see how messed up and how treacherous it was. And, there, and, 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 and I was so mad about that. And there's no way to hang on to both. You, you, you either had to let go of the addiction, yeah. let go of the affairs, or lose your family. For sure. Basically. For sure. Right? And it was the, the, the first half of – and this was a conversation I had with my, with my sponsor on the phone – and it was a fall. It was like in October. I can see it in my head, looking out the window, window and seeing you. Yeah. I was facing the house, but in the backyard. And this conversation was an hour long. The first 30 minutes was me just refusing, just digging my heels in. Like, I don't want to let the, what's going to happen. And, and the big fears that, that I had were based upon beliefs that I had. The primary one was what I, the, the primary belief I had that, that led to so much resistance was um, I thought that sex equaled love. And if I gave this up, what would what would sex be like? Would we have sex? Would would we not have sex? And, and the whole possibility of not having sex, and or not having that kind of release freaked me out. It's like, are we going to be happy? Are, are things going to be totally different? Will she love me? Will she reject me? All those things. Like, the, it was just this big cluster. So 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 it's it, Patrick Carnes. He he's done research and he's found that there's four faulty core beliefs that an addict has. Mm-hmm. And I won't get into all four of them, but one of them is that sex is my greatest need. And, and when you hear that, you think, oh, that's just a guy who thinks that he can't live without sex. But what, what that actually means is sex, that drug of choice, yeah. that lust that, yeah. uh, for a sex addict is a need because it's a, a, it's a need to deal with their emotions and yeah. to, to do all the things that we've been talking to about to function in your life. And so, to face life without that, you know, it's like it's like an alcoholic who who is trying to sober up, and they think, "Can I really go the rest of my life with never having a drink? Like, how do I how do I live? Yeah, so much of my life has been based around this thing, right? Yeah. And so how, it's that same thing. It, it is the same thing. Like, how am I going to survive a hotel like like a business trip in a hotel by myself for three weeks? Right. I'll be too bored. This. I'll be too lonely. lonely. I'll be like, how, how am I going to entertain how's myself? Gonna, how's this going to happen? Yeah. So there was this big process of like resistance, right? Because it was based upon those needs, not just the fact that I need this to function, but it's like, how's Ashley going to show love to me? Right. It's just got to be through sex, which is totally wrong. But the point is, is there was this 30 minutes of resistance. And then finally I got to, the, I, I, I made the decision. I was like, okay, like, I know I don't want that anymore because of how destructive it's been and how treacherous as much as it would comfort me. It was it was exponentially worse in its treachery right. and, and destruction of my life. So I, I chose, okay, I'm going to take this new path, and I'm so scared and I'm so nervous, and I just sobbed for 30 you had, minutes. You had to let go. You had to let go of something. Yes, yes. And, and the letting go physically manifested yep. me just sobbing yep. with this guy. So, Start, starting the grieving process. Yes. That's great. That was the, that was the big moment of acceptance of and, and, and grief of letting go of what was, and it was so deeply uncomfortable yeah and as an addict i ran for anything that was uncomfortable anything that made me feel uncomfortable and the crap thing was not the, crap, the, the best thing was that started my process of healing but it was also from the addict side like crap thing is like i'm exposed and i have to do something totally new without without your safety net safety without net, yeah without my blanket yeah but it was the best thing that ever happened to me all right so 
So let's shift now to the the betrayed side of grief here. Um, So, and Ashton, you can speak to this, but what I see is that uh, a woman gets into a marriage and thinks that their life is going to be a certain way, then all of a sudden life is very different than what you thought it was going to be. And there's, there's a process of acceptance that has to take place. There's a grieving process that you go through to accept your new reality, right? right. Ashton, is this, is this your yeah. experience? Yeah, and what I hear a lot from others, and I felt myself was, do I really have to deal with this the rest of my life? Mm-hmm. This, like, it's not just going to be this one month, This one right? incident that, yeah. It's going to be forever, and that is something hard to accept. So 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 what you're talking about Ashlyn is just one of the realities of of accepting what is, right? Is that this isn't a one-time thing. My husband has a sex addiction. Um this is something that we're going to be dealing with for a long long time. That's hard to accept. Yeah. I bet when you got married you didn't think, "Hey, I want to find um I want to find sex addiction so we can deal with it for a long long time." Yeah. Right? And yeah, let's start a podcast about it. It'll be great. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Definitely not in the point. So all of a sudden you have to start shifting the way you're looking at things and come to an acceptance of what is. That's difficult, right? Um, Another thing, Ashlyn, is um, when you found out about the affairs, when your world was rocked, when when all of a sudden you're left in a state of crisis, a state of trauma. And that state of crisis is is the beginnings of the grief process. There's there's a, you start with, According to Kubler-Ross, you start with denial. You start with just total denial of what you're actually dealing with and what you're actually in. Did you go through any of that? Um, maybe a little, but I mean, I knew. You knew. You, I knew. You knew it was coming. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe maybe you were in denial for a while before it actually hit. Yeah. Like you say, you knew, before but registered. Yeah. But did you really like face it, confront it, go there? Um, sometimes it'll take a woman a long time. They'll know that something is up. They'll know that there's an attachment disorder, an addiction, an affair, but they'll, they'll want to just pretend like it's not there because it's too painful. And that's actually part of the grieving process. Wow. I think in, that was ba- basically most of our marriage is <laughs> let's just <laughs> pretend this isn't real. Right. I mean, that's really, I was numbed out with, I don't want to feel because that's just too much. Right. So that's the first stage of grief. And so as we talk about these stages of grief, uh, grieving, the process of grief, grief is healthy. What's not healthy is getting stuck in any one of them for too long, except for acceptance, right? So, and, and that's where a lot of people will stay stuck is in denial. They know something's wrong. They know something's up. They don't want to face it, right? Okay. So the denial was there in your marriage. All of a sudden you couldn't deny it. Kobe tells you, and then what happened right after that? I hate to take you back to this time, Ashley. I know. But. Well, um, I don't know how I would uh, classify it, but um, I was in a place where um, I was mad. Yeah. I was really mad at my therapist, mm-hmm. Amy, who I love, and she knows I love her. But I was mad that I felt duped, mm-hmm. that I was in therapy with her and he was in therapy with her and she knew all that time and hadn't that I was just finding out um, a lot of embarrassment. Yeah. So, so you're describing grief. So, yeah. so you're in the denial, you found out something hard. The next stage is anger. 
Yeah. Like you're going to go into this place of anger. Um, you're upset about the reality. And that's one way that we fight against reality is we get angry. Um, and, and so, you know, that anger was maybe projected toward Amy, toward yeah. Kobe, maybe toward God. That's um, a common one. And then one. the gal, <laughs> of course, I had to go toward the, Facebook oh, and look her up and all that crap. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and so, yeah, you're, so you can get stuck in that anger. Why, why God? Why me? Um, you know, or, you know what, Kobe, I'm so angry at you. And, and that anger is actually okay. It's a, it's a normal part of grief, right? Um, after the anger can come depression where it's a hopelessness and just a state of feeling like you can't move forward, you feel stuck. And that's a normal part of grief as well. So just feeling hopeless, feeling stuck, um, and people get stuck there as well for for way too long. I think we kind of, I don't know if we got to that point. I don't know if you would consider this that, but I remember like after I had disclosed that, we you had said, okay, we're going to do an in-home separation. And I don't know. I remember this exactly where I was standing in the house by Ashley. And you're like, I don't even know if we're going to stay together. We're going to have this in-home separation for who knows how long. We're just going to see. And so what, would that be, what, would, would having an undefined separation but also having um no commitments to stay it w- was that also part of the, the process of well i think being stuck like not knowing what's going to happen but we weren't super that because we were both still in therapy so i think it would have been different had we not been getting help okay. and so we went i think that anger was there and i i do remember feeling a lot of hopeless and and fear and like yeah what does my life look like as a divorced mom. Um, and so, yeah, I felt those things, but I actually, I actually think that the in-home separation was, was a way that you guys were moving forward. Right. Um, but, but you bring, you bring up something. It kind of makes me think about, maybe we can talk about what it looks like when people are stuck in some of these, these phases of, Mm -hmm. of grief. Um, because that's not it. What we just described was not being stuck is what you're saying. Yeah, the, from 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 knowing you guys and knowing your recovery and the way that you worked it, I think that was Ashlyn saying, "I have some boundaries. I'm going to face for the what first is here. time in my life. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to stand up for myself. I have healthy boundaries, yeah. and I'm not going to be in denial about what's going on in my life. So I need some space to get healthy. So so that's not being stuck. That's totally true too. Right? Because it was that was no, that was like the best month few weeks, whatever it was, six six weeks weeks for me because, and maybe that's what kept me out of that being stuck in depression because I had that time. My personality, I need that alone time. Right. I need to process on my own and have time to think. And that's what it gave me. A lot of safety and peace. Now, now if she would have smiled and said, whatever, Kobe, it's okay. I'm not (laughs) mad. And it was fake. Then she'd be stuck in the denial. Right. Um, but then resenting you a ton oh, yeah. and hating you and resenting and angry, then she'd be stuck in the anger, right? So if you if you if you're stuck in denial, then then you probably have some depression and some anxiety going on because you know something's true but you don't want to face it. Um, if you're stuck in the anger, then you've got massive amounts of resentment and uh, you you don't have intimacy in your relationship. Um, so you're just stuck in that angry place. Everything that person does bothers you. 
um, you, you, you pick out the negative all the time. <laughs> we lived in that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, and it's part of the process. Yeah. But if you get stuck there, and I've seen people stuck there for years um, in any one of these. Um, if you're stuck in the depression, um, you can gain a lot of weight, um, not sleep, not get out of bed. Your career struggles and suffers. Um, taking care of your kids um, because your your motivation is dead because you're depressed, you're hopeless. And so that those are some symptoms of being stuck in that depression. Um, feeling like no matter what I do, nothing will ever change. So why try? And it's a really like painful, hopeless place to be in. And, um, you know, how do you get out of that? How do you break out of that? Um, you got to do opposite of what you feel like doing. When you don't want to get out of bed, you got to get out of bed. When you don't want to call somebody and talk through your emotions, call somebody and talk through your emotions. When you don't want to talk to God, pray. Um, or when you don't want to connect to yourself, journal. So those things will help you process through the emotions and work through them so you don't stay stuck in the well, depression. And it's that whole idea of if you want change, you have to be a little uncomfortable. If we're comfortable then nothing is changing. Yes. And those things are all really uncomfortable. Really? Un- because it, because what we're talking about, Ashlyn, I'm glad you bring that up. We're talking about processing pain. That's not comfortable. And, you know, it's easier to just stay stuck in hopelessness, in anger, in denial, than to face it and process it. So, but go through it. Then go through it. But, but if you, if you don't go through it, then you're going to, you're going to have long, term suffering you're going to have these these things that we're that i'm talking about right now right so okay um next stage of grief we got two more okay so so let me run through what we what we've gone through so far denial anger depression the next one is called bargaining and bargaining is when you're kind of you're starting to try to come to terms with some things but you start bargaining with yourself. You, you, you have the if onlys. If only I would have done this, then that would have worked. Or, or maybe I'll try this and that will change that. Or if I, if I, if I work harder here, then this reality won't be real, right? And so, so you're kind wow. of bargaining with yourself a little bit. Is this more like an internal thing than it is like something that's verbally spoken? Totally internal, pretty much, yeah. Okay. Um, You're just trying to make sense of it and think through it and think about what's in your control to change it, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And so there's bargaining and then there's acceptance. And acceptance is not being able to say like, oh, yeah, like Kobe had an affair on me. Um, That's not acceptance. It's having peace with it. And I know that sounds crazy, but we were just talking about this, Ashlyn, before we started this episode. Um, it's it's being able to say it and really be okay with it. Like what that. does that mean to be okay like with it? Like the fact that we don't cry when we talk about our story. Yeah. And I feel bad, right? Because I don't want people to – somebody thought we were an actor and we're not actors. This right. is our story. But oh, we're so far past the pain. You've grieved that. Right. You've felt it. You've processed it. So you can accept that that's happened in your lives. It's It's part of your story. Um, you've learned from it, you've grown from it, you've moved forward. And so you have peace with the fact that that's happened, right? And it's not to say you're okay with it happening again, right? right? (laughs) You still have your truths and your boundaries and all those things, but you do accept it as as part of your past, as part of your story. On on the other side of going through the, the feeling through the pain. 
Yes, yes. I've got to feel through all of the pain, all of the hurt that I've experienced in effort to get to accepting, okay, this is really what it is, and um, this is this is my life. That's absolutely the case. Okay. And it's it's counterintuitive to, to, to get healthy through grief because we we as humans are designed to avoid pain. We don't want to we don't want to feel it. And so if an addict feels a lot of pain and they need to grieve, they're going to go numb out. But the very thing that they need to do is step into that pain and feel yeah. it and process it. And so, so I, I just listed off things that you can do, um, th- you know, to process this pain. That's why having support people is so important because you talk through things with right. people. You get it out. Talking to a good therapist journaling, praying, listening to music. Music has a way of flushing out pain and flushing out emotion and helping you process things. Um, so playing music, all of these things. Um, one thing that helps me process emotion is water. So if I'm around a lake or a river or the ocean. S- sitting in a hot tub or the ocean, something about that is really soothing and allows me to think and process. So we're all different. We all feel things different, but, um, Allow yourself to go process this pain. If, if you're stuck in any one of these um, places of grief, then pull out your journal or call a friend tonight. And I would, so. I would articulate this. This is one of the, what you just described as far as the methods that you can deploy in order to, to work through the process of, of being uncomfortable, the process of pain. That's a really cliche and cheesy, but, um, but the truth is, is that I never sought help ever. And even when I went to 12-step, I only showed up, but what you just described are like resources that helped me actually work through and build my tolerance for what's uncomfortable because I ran from it so bad and all my life. And, and that was the hardest process was, was going through what was uncomfortable facing what I had done, but it was also the, the one place that gave me the most growth internally, like personally. As but, far as but Kobe, here's the thing about you: is you took your therapy sessions and you got vulnerable. Um, you you called your sponsor and you cried. Um, a lot of guys will will get all these resources and still not want to step into the pain, mm. still not want to process what's actually going on. And and same with same with the betrayed. A lot of times, like, hey, I just want to go to my therapist so he'll fix it for me. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, you go to if if your therapist is any good, your therapist will say. It's time to process some pain and, and grieve so we can get you to a place of radical acceptance, mm. right? And so you are willing to use these resources and actually step into that pain. Yeah, I guess so, it was because it was painful enough, meaning like I had I'd crossed so many lines in the sand that I had drawn for myself that were all ridiculous, of course. <laughs> right. But, but, but honestly, though, that, that was um, those were the things that I had done. And so I guess my point with it is, is this is exactly why what you described is exactly why like change can't be done on your own because I don't possess the skills necessary to go through pain. The best way to process pain, I think is to, is to give it to God or give it to a friend or get, give it to a family member who loves you, who is safe, who can hold that pain and let you process it. They'll hold it there for you mm-hmm. and let you work through it. And, and, but I think that's also why, and, and I mean, we went through therapy for, we had three different therapists before we found Amy 
And the truth is, is like we had to have the right kind of skilled therapist, specialized therapist. Right. And, um, but then also she surrounded me around, you know, six other guys who were rad and who were, it was cool. There was, uh, by the way, I put that group together. Did so. you really? Yeah. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. Yeah. I was the group guy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's right. You totally were. Yeah. Thank Honestly, you. Like, like, I'm just kidding. I don't need credit. <laughs> no, but, 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 okay. So, but that's also evidence of you put yourself in the right place with the right kind of specialized people and that kind of magic, which seems like magic, which seems like fairy tale, but that kind of change takes place and is facilitated. But, it was a, it but, was I, but I do got to say, group. I do got to say, Kobe, if, if somebody doesn't have the opportunity to have that, mm-hmm. um, first off, they can find it. And there's so many resources yeah. online and things like that. Um, but they can still process their pain. They, they can still, if they don't have a group of men who mm-hmm. are that safe to talk to, mm-hmm. they can find other people in their life that can help them process that pain. Okay, that's right? good. So that is good. I don't, I just don't want them to think so like, like, well, I'm because they don't have a group. Then, I, yeah. I'm, yeah. So, so where would that be then? Um, where, where would they find those? Like if I'm in St. John's Island and I don't have any, I see that's not for like a thousand miles. And like, I mean, this where am I going to go? This is where I'd where start. If we're talking about processing pain and grieving, mm-hmm. do you have like a, a grandpa that loves you a lot and is good at listening? Start there, right? A brother, a friend, um, because they can actually empathize and hear you. If you have anyone in your life that can do that, then you can start there because you have some rapport, some safety, and you can start to process your emotions with that person. Now, when it comes to sex addiction and betrayal trauma, mm-hmm. um, it's hard to find people who can really understand. Um, it's Well, I take that back. It's, it's way less hard to find that than it used to be. Totally. Um, then there's all kinds of resources online. Um, there's probably uh, groups going on in the town that you live. And so, so put yourself out there, find people who are talking vulnerably and openly about their pain because as, as you do it together, you'll heal. So that's cool. That's good. Amen. So, all right. Can I end with a, a Brene? Yes, quote? please do. Cause I thought of it while you were talking. I was like, this is one of my faves. So Brene Brown, if you have not read her books, she's the best listened to on audible. She's one of my favorites. So, Owning our story can be hard, but not nearly as difficult as spending our lives from running from it. Embracing our vulnerabilities is risky, but not nearly as dangerous as giving up on love and belonging and joy. The experiences that make us the most vulnerable. Only when we are brave enough to explore the darkness will we discover the infinite power of our light. Wow. Yep. Amen to that. Amen. Good way to wrap true. up right there. So owning our stuff accepting yeah. it yeah guys thanks for being here thanks for listening um share this please like share this episode and as i you've heard it i, I want to say who, whoever's listening out there that you're you're in the process of this grief and you're not in denial because you're listening you're 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 getting educated um you're you're gaining just just good information to help yourself move forward so continue to move forward that's red yep thanks, thanks for being guys. here guys see you guys